Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women on life after 50 who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. Women, friends, rock. None of us would have made it to our 50s without our girlfriends. None of us. You can love your spouse, adore your kids, appreciate your family, but your female friends get it. They've been in the trenches with you. They remember your first set of eyebrows, your first love, your first apartment. They give us oxygen, endless love, and deep understanding. But female friendships are also complicated and at times tumultuous. I'm joined today by a woman who can help us decode the intricacies of female friendships. Jacqueline Morose is a New York Times science writer and the author of Girl Talk, What Science Can Tell Us About Female Friendships. She is here to help us better understand friendship from a range of angles. Welcome, Jacqueline. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. I'm so excited. Um, I've, I've got your book. I've dove into it. I, and I first want to ask, what made you decide to write Girl Talk? Well, I've been a, a science writer for the New York Times for many years. And I, like many women, have lots of friends. And some of them are fantastic, or most of them are fantastic. But then once in a while, I would have a friend where we would have some kind of conflict or issue, or I would feel this kind of, um, you know, bitchy behavior. And I just couldn't understand where it would come from. And one day, I sort of had this epiphany, like, oh, maybe there's like a scientific explanation for the way women behave with their friends. And so I decided to look into it and ended up writing this book. So it's so fascinating because I know that instinct, you know, instinctually, I crave female friendships, right? I personally feel more energized after being with friends that know me really, really well. But I also feel energized by being in a room full of women I don't know at all, right? You know, what is the science behind this? Why do we seek out female companionship? So women are actually really good for our health. Um, they can improve our immune system, lower blood pressure, we have less depression with our friends, um, better healing, and we actually can live longer with our friends. Wow. And um, like many women, or like everybody, we're not really seeing people right now because of the pandemic. Um, but I managed to get together with some girlfriends last night for somebody's 50th birthday party. Yay! And um, yay, we met at this restaurant that had like an outdoor tent, and it was just like everybody, I can tell from everybody's faces, like everybody just felt so good being there with each other. It's like you could just feel <laughs> the health benefits of being together. So, of course, Ugh, I feel like a moment of envy because I feel like it's been ages and <laughs> ages since I've been, you know, with some of my dearest friends in person. That must have been amazing. Um, it was, yeah. And so, you talk about the health benefits, you outline some of them. I'm curious, you know, do male and female friendships differ? Do men get different benefits from friendships or do they conduct them differently from women? I'm feeling like the answer is yes, but I want to hear more about it from you. Well, I think if you ask men, they would say they get a lot out of their friendships too, but um, they're just very different. I think women are just much more intense with their friends and because of that, they're a little bit more fragile. Um, we have higher expectations from our friends than, than men do. And so we're disappointed more easily and our trust can be traded much more. Um, if you think about it, if you're divulging your secrets to your friends, then you're more vulnerable. And that's something that women do as a way to um, 
have stronger bonds with their friends is to tell them your secrets, right? But, um, and I think our women's brains have the capacity to connect very deeply in a friendship. Um, I'm sure men might dispute that, that, that we, are, we have deeper friendships than men do. But um, like I said, because of that, we're just, they're just more, much more fragile than men. When you, when you talk um, about... One of the things... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Keep, no, no, you keep going. No, I was, I was just going to say, like, when I would have issues with my friends, I would talk to my husband and say, oh, can you believe this happened? And what should I do? And he would kind of look at me and say, I don't know. Can you talk to your sister? <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> He's like, I've never had an issue like that with my friends. He's so. like, I'm out of ideas here. You, you need to go elsewhere. You, 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 yeah, he just couldn't, couldn't like, relate couldn't wrap his brain around it. You know, when you talked about divulging secrets to your friend, I'm like, I'm nodding over here, you know, on the other end of this recording, because of course that's what we do. We share secrets with our friends, but it's not even just mm-hmm. sharing secrets. I feel that women communicate differently um, than uh, men do, because I will h- listen to my husband you know, in the other room on the phone with a friend. They'll talk for 40 minutes. He'll come back into the kitchen and I'll say, you know, what's going on with, you know, Justin? And he's like, I don't know, like, not much. And I'm like, well, how, how's Debbie? And he's like, I have no idea. I'm like, well, what's going on with his job? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, what did you guys talk about for 45 minutes? You know, when you get a bunch of women in the room, they're talking about, like, their sex life, what tampon they're using, you know, when, like, why they can't poop. I mean, I don't know. There's just, like, much more intimate information being shared. Is that actually verifiably true by science and data? Or is that just my own experience? No, that's definitely true. Um, I and I think women are just more emotionally sensitive than men. We're more attuned to like their subtle social messages, um, and men just connect in different ways. Men connect with their friends by playing sports or watching a game or doing an activity together, whereas women will have tea together and talk, and maybe they'll be like knitting or something like that together, but. It is very different. Um, I feel like every woman that I've ever met has shared their, like, childbirth story with me. You know, that's the kind of thing, like, that (laughs) you you can be, like, in an elevator with somebody, and you'll be talking about kids, and they'll tell you about, you know, their delivery. Because women are just wired to share that kind of more more intimate information quickly, I think. Uh, Does this start Mm. off when you're young, or is it something that evolves? You know, does your book explore the evolution of friendships from childhood into adulthood? It does look at that a, a little bit. Um, well, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, I was just kind of reading over my book, is um, kind of the bitchy behavior that women sometimes get from other women. And what I learned is from the science is that really all humans are aggressive, but women begin using this indirect aggression or bitchy behavior when it becomes socially accept- unacceptable to be outwardly aggressive, and that starts at around the age of seven. Um, and so if you think about it, girls are taught, like, don't hit or scream when you're angry. You have to be a good girl and be nice. And so instead of um, just being able to act out the way boys would, they started, um, it became this indirect aggression. And so they would be kind of sneaky about it. You know, they could be. <laughs> Not all girls do this, right? Right. Um, and, and so, and all humans teach power through aggressive behavior. So, um, 
because women were taught not to, you know, hit or scream when they're angry. They had to find another way to deal with it. So the social mores um, are sort of and our, set differently. Right. Right. And our ba- or actually our brain circuitry, circuitry stops women from showing anger and avoiding conflict. So we're really Why? Early. Why does it do that? Um, well, it was partly evolution, I believe, because you're trying to protect yourself and you're young, right? Um, and so if you're showing anger, you know, you're more um, likely to get attacked. You're getting voted off the island, right? Nobody wants to be with you. Right. And you're, you're expelled right. from the, the herd. Exactly. That's exactly. so interesting. I have a 20-year-old daughter, yeah. and um, watching her navigate her friendships, probably really more in middle school, but a little bit in high school, you know, really brought up for me all the memories of what it was like to navigate these waters as a teen and how important it was for her to be part of the group. You know, and at one point she was expressing frustration because they were all trying to decide on the group Halloween costume and she didn't like what they picked. And I, I said, well, why don't you be something different? And it was like, you know, I act, I, I suggested that she like jump off a bridge. She was like, what? Exactly. I could never do that. Like, I have to be a Disney princess with them because you, you, you really want to you want to belong to the group. Does this do you think this changes as women age? Is that something that you cover? Um, I don't really get into that, but I definitely think that's true. And um, actually, a few people have said to me that I should do my next book on um, teenage friendship. And because that, as you say, it's just so fraught and so interesting. And I have three boys, and my youngest is fifteen, and uh, he's had he had some pretty difficult times. He's he's like a very sensitive kid. Um, whereas my older son is um, never lets like everything rolls right off him, and he never ever has any any issues with his friends. He's just like my husband. <laughs> He's, he's so I think that's interesting, too, how different people can be. Yes. So tell us a little bit more about the book, because I know you break it up into, is it eight or nine chapters? And what uh, what is sort of the range of friendship uh, notions that you cover in this book? Can you give us a, a top-line overview? Yeah. So um, I started out looking at the history of friendship and actually how when friendship started, um, I talk about the science of friendship or some of the things that we just talked about, like women's brains. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that um, women's brains were um, formed to make a, actually make us mind readers. We're better at reading emotion than other people's faces than men are. And like you can say your husband comes home one day and he, or your partner and has this um, kind of weird look on this face. You might say, what happened at work today? I know something happened. And, um, and this is actually why they think women cry more than men because men are not good mind readers. Um, they can't read people's faces the way women can. So women would start to cry to get the attention of men to show them that something was wrong. Wow. And, so, and still sometimes they don't get it, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're like, what's happening? All right, keep going. So that's that's fascinating. What else do you cover? Yeah. Um, so um, 
the evolution has made us you know rely on our friends more, and it's like a, it's like this crucial biological need is being fulfilled when we when we're with our friends. So I'm just talking a little more about the science um, when we're with our female friends. And this is what you were asking me before, like why we feel so good. We actually release oxytocin, which calms us down, and it increases our serotonin, which is a natural mood stabilizer. So it really does make you feel better when you're with your friends. And be, being with our friends actually calms our central nervous system as well. So, I love that. That's when it's all going well. But you also, in your book, talk yeah. about friend breakups. You know, share more with us about yeah. that. What did, what did you learn? And is this preventable? So, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, part of the reason I wrote this book is because I had um, this one friend in particular that... Um, I was having kind of a difficult time with, and um, after the book, we ended up um, just not, we had a final breakup, we're not friends anymore, so, um, so that, you know, makes, still makes me sad, and I think about her, um, but it's, you know, because of the intensity of our friendships, like a small thing can tip us over the edge, and, um, I had a, I did a radio show and a woman called into the radio show and she said, I have a question. Um, when I was 30 years old, I lived with my girlfriend in Boston and she broke up with her boyfriend and then I started to date him. And my friend, we had this big breakup and my friend never spoke to me again. And I'm still upset about it and I really think about her and I, I want to know what to do. What do you what do you think I should do? And I said, well, how long, how long ago did this happen? Um, and she said, well, I'm 80 now. Oh, <laughs> so it has been 50 years. Oh my and gosh. And it's been bothering her. That's been, bo- oh. yeah. that's such a, such a sad story, but also do not date your friends, ex-boyfriends. That, 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 <laughs> that, that is like a life lesson to know. Um, oh my gosh. I've actually uh-huh. read an interesting statistic and I, perhaps I read it in your book that women's, you know, having a breakup with a friend can often be more painful than the breakup with a romantic partner, which that, I found to be women said. astonishing. Yeah. They said it was harder to recover from than a divorce. Which is, which is yeah. absolutely amazing to me, but I, I think it speaks to the, um, you know, with a husband, with a, a marriage is a partnership, right? Where you agree to become partners, to become a union. But friendships often feel like um, identity, you know. So if somebody is no longer your friend, it's it, it. I think that it really makes you examine yourself. You know, you really feel with many friendships, mm-hmm. you really feel seen. You know, and to have a very close friend no longer see you can feel very dislocating to your own identity, which I think is like actually why yeah. as, I've, as I've aged, I've really spread my friendships around and I've always encouraged my daughter to do that. You know, I have friends from like the dearest friends since, you know, fifth grade, my sort of core group, but I've got college friends that I love and, and f- women from my town that I adore. And I, I've made sure that I have um, different networks. You know, what is your take on that? No, I think that's really important. Um, and actually my younger son was having some friend problems um he's in high school and he kind of learned that on his own he has really good emotional intelligence um 
which is really important to being a good friend and having friends as well, I think. And he ended up um, forming like three different friend groups in high school. So it's like he always has somebody to be with or hang out with. Um, and I, I think he, that's something that women do as well, especially as like you were talking about. It's kind of a way to, I don't know, it's almost like insurance that you always have somebody there for you. And if anything goes wrong, you'll have, have somebody else there. Um, and um, I was going to say that research has shown that a woman's self-worth is tied into her friend's opinion of her far more than for men. And so a woman's self-esteem can really be undermined more easily by a friend as well. Absolutely. I, I, I really relate to that. And that's what I was sort of saying about identity. I mean, as you were talking, I was like rattling off in my mind. You know, it's not a very long list, but it's a list of women that have... <laughs> left my life over the years because, you know, things have either, you know, our paths diverged or there was this some sort of disconnect. And there is there is pain. I don't think I've had a, like a massive friend breakup that gave me, you know, like agita, like a divorce. But I've, there, there's sadness around things shifting. But I've also added friends. You know, I, I feel we can add friends as, as we age. You know, do you did you find that to be true when you researched this and and how does one add friends if, if someone's listening and thinking, you know what, I'm kind of like isolated in the pandemic. I need more people in my life. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, did talk about that in the book. Um, my mother is 85. And um, so I was really interested in aging and friendship and how you continue to make friends. And, um, and she, she's a little bit lonely right now. I think she's uh, widow. And um, one thing I thought that was, was interesting to one of the researchers I talked to is that you sort of have this, like, friend, um, what do you call it, sort of caravan, of the number of friends that you have in life. And you pretty much carry that throughout your life. So if you always just have a few friends, that's probably what you're going to have throughout your life, like a few small, like a small group of important friends. Sure. You, know, you don't have a lot of acquaintances that you hang out with um and so so that kind of i think that's good to to realize because maybe you're thinking like why do i only have a few really close friends because that's just who you are right people are just very different but um yeah going to like if you belong to a gym obviously everything's very different right now but um if you go to the same class all the time it's a good way to like meet people. Um. I think you need to be intentional as you get older, too, because there, there, there are friendship inflection points, right? You, you, when you're in elementary school, you're friends with the people you're sitting next to. And then you have high school friends right. and college and everyone starts, you know, and you make, make friends at work. And, and uh, new motherhood is a big friend maker, right? You, you add women mm -hmm. to your life that your kids are involved with. But once your kids start emptying the nest, you know, if you do want new friends and, and new relationships, I think you need to bring a level of intentionality around it, you know, where you, you right. put yourself out there that you're, you're tr picking up a new mm -hmm. sport. Like I added a lot of tennis friends to my life about 10 years ago. And, you know, finally about five years ago, I stopped calling them my tennis friends because they were like actually my friends. You know, I did things besides play tennis with them, but you need to maybe be, be, be thoughtful about it. You cover famous yeah. cover famous friendships in your book too, which I you know when I think of famous friendships, I think Oprah and Gail, you know Lucy and Ethel. Uh -huh. Was there was there one particular or maybe a handful of, of friendships that really intrigued you as you did your research? Well, I 
I was really intrigued by this friendship between um, Marilyn Monroe and did you read that and Ella Fitzgerald. Tell us more uh, about um, that. Yeah, so um, Ella Fitzgerald was um, singing in a bar and, in the club, and they well, she wanted to sing, and she wouldn't. They wouldn't let her because she's black, and. Um, Marilyn Monroe loved her music. And so she went to the club and she said, if you book her, I will sit in the front row every night that she performs. I love and it. Said, okay. And after that, they became like best friends. And I never knew that. So That's a very cool story. That's the power of advocacy that you can have in women's lives. And, you know, I, I exactly. see there's like this buzz phrase, like empowered women, empowered women, which always sort of, you know, irks me on some level. But um, because I think women empower themselves, but you, you do, and they don't even need to be empowered. So it's, if I find it a little irksome, but I do really believe in the power of women supporting each other. And I, I have found that, uh, some of my, um, most meaningful friendships are women who have really helped elevate me. You know, it's not that, um, you know, alpha girl where you need to just only one person can be dominant. I have really wonderful women in my life who want to see me shine. So that's been so important to me. Um, You also cover cultural differences um, and the way different communities approach friendship. Uh, We can't cover it all, but um, was Uh was there one surprising lesson that kind of sticks with you from your research? Um. I was, yeah, I mean, I don't know that much about um, kind of, I didn't know before about cultural differences, but I thought the kind of difference between the inclusive cultures and exclusive cultures is very interesting. Um, And um, like we are, Americans are part of an inclusive culture. So somebody, you know, joins your tennis team and you'll be like, oh, hey, it's so great to meet you. We should hang out. Um, and that's kind of like what Americans say. So when people from other cultures come in, they think, oh, I have a new best friend. And they don't realize that's just kind of the way Americans talk. And, and, they, don't, culture, and they don't mean it. <laughs> and they don't mean it, exactly. <laughs> well, so I thought that was kind of eye-opening. So what is a culture that means it? Like, what's a culture where, where, where people take friendship very seriously? So, like, if you go to France, they're very exclusive culture, and a friend of mine lived there for many years, and she said it was so difficult to make, make friends there. People And, like, when people pass you on the street, they won't, like, kind of smile and kind of say hi because they don't know you, whereas Americans do that. But once you get to meet a friend, make a friend there, they're your friend for life, and they just are a very um, exclusive culture there. It's so interesting because so, I feel that that yeah. um, you know, I lived in Japan um, many years ago for two years after college, and there was a little bit of that level of formality. And for me, it was also probably a language issue. I, I was very much welcomed as an honored guest, but it, it was hard, you know, to be um, to feel intimate, you know, and, and, and sort of pulled mm-hmm. in because there were were differences. So uh, it's it, that's so fascinating. And, and there are there are. Um more of a collective, a collectivist culture, right, rather than individualistic. 
Well, I wanted to know more about that, actually, because I do remember when I was in Japan, I went on a vacation and I came back, you know, with like my, my, my vacation weight. And my boss said to me, Katie, what happened? Your face got so fat, you know, and I thought, <laughs> we don't say that in America, but they were very direct. I thought maybe that they, they were correcting you as a friend because I, I definitely experienced that, <sighs> which is so funny. Uh, you also cover technology and the impact that it has on friendship. You know, is it? Do you see technology as a boon for friendship, or is it something that interferes and gets in the way? Yeah, I think it definitely has made it much harder to have closer friendships. Um, and like, if you think about it, twenty years ago we spent zero hours on social media, and now we spend almost three hours a day. Um, and I thought I, this was so interesting. This researcher I talked to said, told me that teenagers spend the equivalent of 40 days a year on social media. And I had to get him to repeat that because I couldn't believe it was true. That is a startling statistic. 40 days a year. Okay. Wow. 40 days. Like not like part of a day. That's the equivalent of, you know, 40, 24 hour a day. A huge, oh, it's a huge yeah. chunk of your life. You know, it's interesting yeah. that you feel that technology kind of interferes because in some ways, for you know, maybe it's an age uh, issue, but I feel that technology helps keep me connected because, you know, COVID was so isolating and, and still remains isolating. And uh, when we were all sheltering in place last March, you know, I was, t- you know, on text threads with my girlfriends from high school and my girlfriends from college and we would sort of text every Friday to check in and see how the week went. And it felt like connective tissue in a way that um, was so important because we weren't getting together in real life. And I look at my 13-year-old and he is doing, you know, it's it's a little unfortunate, but a lot of his social life now is over, you know, Xbox, his games in order to be connected to friends who he can't see. Do you think this is going to change, you know, after COVID or will we be able to return to nurturing our connections in real life? Or have we jumped the shark and now we're all going to be tech forever? <laughs> <laughs> I hope we're going to go back because I think there's no um, substitute for be- being with people in person and seeing them in person. And um, the research I did found that it's much harder to connect with friends and form deep, intimate bonds um, on social media than I would think technology is similar to that and um you know being on social media makes actually makes us more depressed anxious and socially isolated and after i wrote that chapter i really tried to go off social media quite a bit um and i kind of realized how negative it can be and especially you know you have teenagers too like watching them go on instagram and see pictures of their friends hanging out um parties that they weren't invited to, it just makes you feel terrible and it can really make you feel empty. This is a phenomenon that is not just for teenagers. I mean, I've experienced this myself as an adult on both ends of the equation. I remember well seeing those tennis friends that I talked about. They were all, you know, out to dinner one night with their husbands. They had played, you know, couples uh, tennis and I had not been included. You know, part of me intellectually Mm -hmm. understood this. You know, it was two courts. You can only have eight people. If my husband and I had been there, we'd be 10. So it just, I understood it intellectually, but I felt sad. And then I went and did something similar myself several months later when I was off at a small birthday party with some friends from high school. Somebody had brought a funny napkin. I took a picture of it and then I, ta- I pu- posted it on Instagram and I tagged the four or five women that were in that, you know, dinner celebration. 
and other friends felt left out. And I shared this with my daughter and she was like, mom, why would you have done that? And I thought, why did I do that? You know, it was so stupid and inadvertently. You always thought it was fun. Yeah. I I mean, I try not to do that now. I have to say, like, I don't post. Like, last night we took a picture of a group of friends. I I won't post that on social media because I just don't want people to feel bad that they were, if they felt left out, even though, you know, you can realize that. Right, that we weren't that they um, weren't included, and and so much of social media is you know it's it's about broadcasting. It's about broadcasting what you're up to, and obviously I'm, you know, I'm a broadcaster. I'm having conversations as a podcaster. I love sharing and 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 uh, putting things out into the universe. But social media does um, have nuances that are that can be very negative too, and you can people can feel hurt. And it's interesting that you know I really when I had both of those experiences. I instantly felt like I was 13 again, you know, it, it, not, not in a good way. Right. <laughs> it was like, um, it's interesting. Um, that uh, the writer, Claire Massoud wrote the foreword to my book. Yes. Um, she's an incredible writer. And, um, she wrote, I'm trying to remember the book she wrote. Um, anyway, she, you can cut that part out. <laughs> she, um, she told me that whenever she has a new book out, that some of her friends just kind of disappear and they stop calling her and they don't like show up to her events and things. And I guess the kids, you know, there's like some jealousy there. And that just made me feel so sad. Um, like, and when she just had a new book come out, I made sure that I emailed her and said, congratulations on your great reviews. Like I'm not her friend, but I just want, felt like people should be supportive of each other and, Something good happens, you know. Right. That's so interesting. You know, I do it's a little think, off topic. But. Yeah. No, it's not off topic at all. We're talking about female friendships, and I think that jealousy sometimes is a current that runs through our relationships. You know, our uh, because we create so much of a sense of identity around who we're with. You know, there's all those quotes about like your friends are a reflection on you, and and you really feel like part of a unit. And if somebody else is maybe succeeding in some ways, you know, ideally we want to be happy for them, but sometimes, you know, comparison is the the thief of joy. You know, when we compare ourselves to others, we can feel less, uh, less right. than, which is so unfortunate. You really need to surround yourself. And I've been mindful about mm-hmm. this. I've been mindful about surrounding myself with women who are always excited and happy and supportive of, of me and the other women in their orbit, you know, because that's, that's how I want to be and how I want to show up in life. And I really try to do that. And so I, I, you know, I'm intentional about surrounding myself by people who are doing interesting things and are confident. And everyone right. shine, everyone shines somewhere, it, even if it's, you know, mm-hmm. and everyone has their moments. We all have ups and we right. all have downs and it's super tricky. Um, Jacqueline, I'm so appreciative you're coming on today and, and, and walking us through Thank some you. of the intricacies of female friendships. I would encourage anyone who wants to know more about you know, their own relationships, who wants to dive into some of these different elements to really explore this in a thoughtful, intentional way to pick up Jacqueline's book, Girl Talk, What Science Can Teach Us About Female Friendships. Jacqueline, before we say goodbye, is there another resource or tool you want to let our listeners know about? I just wanted to tell you the name of the book that Claire Mishu wrote. It's called The Burning Girl. The Burning Girl. Yeah, to teenager, teenage girls who have who are really close friends, and then it turns into kind of a toxic friendship. And it's a great book. Fabulous. I will link to that in the show notes. How can our listeners keep following you and your work? 
I still write for the science section of the New York Times, so you can follow my work there. Fabulous. I will link to that as well. Jacqueline, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. I love being here. Great. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women over 50 who are aging without apology. Join me next week when we dive into the biology of love and why we mate and stray with anthropologist Dr. Helen Fisher. In bonus, we cover dating and sex during the pandemic. Special thanks to Michael Mancini Productions, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time, and until then, age boldly, beauties.